Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies. Touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49 faithful? We are back with another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Hill Podcast. I'm Zane. He's Al. And it's another lo- losing podcast for us, Al. <laughs> We've had so many of these, man. I just, I'm, I'm kind of starting to wonder, like, are we ever going to do a podcast for a winning team? Because the year that you left, Levin and Staff were here, and then they went to the Super Bowl, and then you came back, and like now we're like, we're losing it. I'm not blaming so it's on you. My, it's my fault. Now, I've, now the listeners are going to be like, Al, you got to leave. <laughs> Maybe it is my fault. You think it's my fault? I mean, there's be, plenty of blame to go around. We're, we're blaming, we're blaming the quarterbacks, we're blaming Sala, we're blaming Kyle, we're blaming everybody, like, Somehow Jimmy didn't play, but it's his fault too. So, I mean, I, I, I don't know, man. I don't know what, what's going on with this team. They're wildly inconsistent. They go, they look like world beaters one week against the Rams and then against the Buffalo Bills, who are a very good football team, by the way, better, much better than anybody gave them credit for before the game. They came out and they just got t- taken to the woodshed on both sides of the ball. Here's where I am with it. And we talked about, and, and it's just as a fan, it's frustrating because we talked at the beginning of the season for this team even to go nine and seven, I said, I think my exact words were literally everything has to go wrong. They're that good. Mm-hmm. Everything has gone wrong. Literally everything. And as a fan, it's frustrating because here you are, the past 18 years, they've only had four winning seasons. And it really looked like they were set up for you know a little bit of a stretch here where they were going to be one of the better teams in the NFC. And I don't mean they're going to go, I, I thought they had a chance to get back to the Super Bowl this year, but that's hard to do. But I thought they were going to be a playoff team for sure. And to have this happen, it's incredibly frustrating. And as I'm watching the game and, you know, through a fan's eyes, you're getting frustrated. You're, you're seeing everything that's going down. I just said to myself, you know, maybe I got to temper my expectations here because they don't have their best player on defense. They don't have their best player on offense and they're playing with a backup QB. But think of any other team in the league. Think of the Seahawks. If you take away Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf and, and, and Bobby Wagner, they're not winning many games, right? You can do that with any team in the league. So that's kind of where I am right now is, is maybe I have to temper my expectations. And it certainly looks like Kyle Shanahan is coaching in a way that he doesn't trust who he has on the field, definitely at the quarterback position. And maybe he doesn't, but it, it's been very frustrating. This game was very frustrating. And, and I wouldn't have believed it in a million years if you told me way back in September that the season was going to play out this way. It's just whatever can go wrong has. Murphy's Law, right? That's basically what's happened this season. and from. Week two, basically, on the Niners, their season was derailed at that point. You lose Osa for the year, who is your best defender, as you said. You lose Jimmy, your starting quarterback, for a couple weeks at the time, and then he came back prematurely against Miami. But when you are put up against those kind of odds, your backup quarterback is supposed to win you maybe a game or two. And we talked about this ad nauseum in the offseason. We're like talking about the quarterback room and the roster preview and all this stuff. Your backup quarterback should win you a couple games and be in for a couple games. He's not designed, that position is not designed to take you through the entire season, which now twice basically it's happened where the backup quarterback's taking you through most of the season. And, and mm-hmm. just, you, you just can't plan for that. And I, I empathize with Kyle Shanahan because how can you can't possibly be competitive when you're going long stretches without your major players? And this is a superstar league and superstars carry your team. And when your stars are out, you don't have a chance. So as frustrating as that game was to watch, I, I get it. Like, I get it. They just don't have the horses. Like, watching Josh Allen, who to me 
has turned is making that transition into an elite quarterback if he's not there already. But to get watch a guy like Josh Allen who has all his weapons there and has it all together as the quarterback of that Buffalo team and just go and shred the Niners defense. I'm like, I wish the Niners were there, right? I was kind of envious of the Bills and I was kind of envious of where they're at right now because they seem to have figured it out under Sean McDermott. He's got a winning record as a head coach. They're contending for a division title. They are a team that has a quarterback that's got their position, that position settled and they know their identity. And I I think that the Niners are still kind of struggling with that right now. It's like, okay, well, what are they? And yeah, it does start with the quarterback position and I'm, I'm a staunch Jimmy supporter. Everybody knows that, but, I'm all for upgrading the quarterback position as well. And if you can find that, Dak Prescott, uh, Matt Stafford, we've talked about it. If you can find that guy out there, you go and you you make that change and make that upgrade because it's about the team and winning. However, right now, they're not just the quarterback away. And you're seeing that with the defense really not playing very well. I feel like Richard Sherman, that was probably one of his worst games as a Niner, if not his worst game. Barrett got picked on. They couldn't stop Cole Beasley. And I get it. They were missing both of their slot corners. They're missing Kmart Williams and Emmanuel Mosey, who was the backup there. And there's really nothing you can do at that point without any pass rush. So it was an undermanned team. And I feel like, yeah, Salah took some heat for his game plan. I thought he should have blitzed more. And when he did, they were marginally more successful than playing back in zone. But it was just basically death by a thousand paper cuts, like a short pass from Josh Allen to Beasley here, a short pass to Diggs there for a first down. And then they got the big play on, on the miscommunication with Tiberius Moore, who also had a poor game. And all of a sudden, the Niners looked like a team with a lot more holes than they thought they had. And it just it's just one of those years. And you got a bunch of guys that are free agents next year that we surely will talk about at some point uh, in the offseason. But they're not just the quarterback away at this point. We thought that last year, like when they flirted with Tom Brady, the team thought that as well. When they flirted with Tom Brady, oh, you just drop a quarterback in here and it's going to be fine. Now you're tra- you're starting to see a little more that needs to be done to make this team get back to the Super Bowl. Well, the theme here, I think, is is backups. And when you're playing with mostly backups, yeah, you're you're not a very good team. And and I almost feel for me, you know, we talked last week and it was kind of unjust, but about the playoffs and we were, you know, we did the Jim Mora thing and we were going crazy playoffs, playoffs, playoffs. When you take off the red and gold glasses and you really look at what's happened the last month or five, six weeks, whatever it's been, after that New England game, when it really looked like they did turn the season around. They've been really terrible other than the Rams game. I mean, what you look at the games that they've had, they got they they win that game against New England, which, you know, has us all all feeling good at the time. Then they play against Seattle and Seattle, Seattle blows their doors off. Then you have the COVID issue game on the Thursday in Green Bay. I mean, that wasn't even a competitive game. That wasn't the Niners' fault, but still the defense didn't look good that night either. Green Bay blows their doors off. So it was an ugly game by them against the Saints. Then you get the bye week and they came out and they 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 win a game against the Rams a game which the offense didn't play well for three and a half quarters or whatever it was, but that's a division game and division games can make things look the way that they are. And I'll give you an example too. look at the Raiders and the chiefs or the Broncos and the chiefs this past Sunday. When, when you just know division game, you're the team you're playing in the division, the games are closer and it can just end up that way. And that game ended up being fool's gold because again, they play the bills and, and like you said, it was just death by a thousand paper cuts. They just got really blown off the field. Josh Allen was playing Madden on easy in that game. And look, they're playing with a lot of backups. You look at the defensive line, they don't have Ford. They don't have Bosa. They don't have Solomon Thomas. DJ Jones went out with a high or with an ankle sprain. I don't think it's a high ankle sprain. They said it wasn't, but he went out with an injury. Who who do you got left? (laughs) 
you, you know, Kerry Hyder's having a good season, but then Givens and Street are more depth pieces and they're playing a lot of snaps. Armstead, don't get me started. And you don't have it up front and, and you do have some great guys like, like Warner back there, but they're playing with backups, Zane. And, and when you play with backups, you're not a very good team. On offense, you're playing with your fourth string center. You're playing with your backup quarterback. What I just got to the point where the halfway through the game, I said to myself, well, Al, what do you expect? What do you expect? I don't know if they can maybe go two and two the rest of the season, but Zane, that's just what we're looking at right now. It's another year, like 2018. That's, that's kind of a lost season. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're looking at the Washington football team who they have next and Alex Smith coming in here. And I tweeted this out earlier uh, as of the recording of the show or earlier that day where uh, you're running into a scenario where Alex Smith could actually be the one to deliver the death blow to the 49ers playoff hopes. And that's so ironic to me. And they're a very good, football team when when he's playing quarterback the guy just wins it's just two and three hundred checkdowns all day but he wins and now you're running into that team and a dallas team who took uh the the ravens all the way to the end who looked much better than than their record says and then you have the two divisional games for those two teams are that are definitely better than your team when you're when you're injured so there's a chance that they could end up losing all four of them and go six and you know six and ten or five and eleven so i i really just I don't know what to think of this because there have been so many injuries and it's just been such a weird year. And despite what people may think, like the the lack of fans and moving around and all the COVID protocols and being isolated from your family and now having to play in Arizona for the rest of the year, it has an effect on these guys. They're professionals. They're not going to say anything, but like, come on, athletes are creatures of habit. I know this from firsthand experience. When you take them out of the routine, when you take them away from their family, when you take away all of the things that they use to get as an outlet to get away from the game, it affects them. And yeah, it's it's affecting all the teams, but it's affecting different teams at different levels. Like Lamar Jackson was just out for several days and like over a week with COVID. And now he comes back and all of a sudden the Ravens win again. Like, it, you know, when you, when you have that different effect on different teams, you're not playing a level playing field. So it's like, how do you evaluate anything at this point? The only thing you can say is that they're much better, obviously, when they're healthy than they are when they're injured. But when has the team ever been healthy under Kyle Shanahan, Al? When have they ever had a healthy team? It's never happened. 2017 was kind of a wash because he, you know, he he didn't really that, that really wasn't his team. That was just the bulky leftovers and all that stuff. But 2018, Jimmy gets hurt and the season goes in the tank. 2019, they were mostly healthy, but remember at the end of the year, the, the defense was just totally ravaged by injuries. Pyle mm-hmm. Alexander, Jaquaski Tar, D Ford. They were all out for extended periods of time. Richard Sherman even missed a game as well or two. So they've never been healthy under Kyle Shanahan. So what's what's going to make us think that all of a sudden, like next year, they're going to have some newfound health? And it doesn't correlate to Kyle Shanahan's style of coaching at all. I just think it's bad luck. But like we're waiting on health as if this is something that we know is coming, when in reality, the last three years, they haven't been healthy at all. And it could be bad luck, and it could be just your – getting injury prone players too. I mean, when you, when 44 less regular season games since 2018, 19 of those have had a backup quarterback behind center. What, how can you win like that? Like you said, your backup should win you in one or two games. When you have your backup in there for an extended period of time, he's going to get exposed. Nick Mullins could come in for a game or two and, and Kyle can scheme around him and they can do fine. But when he's in there for a long time, you get fill on him. You know that he can't really throw outside the numbers. You, you got to kind of play offense in a box and, and teams get on are going to figure that out. And it's really difficult for Kyle Shanahan to do what he wants to do. And it seems to me like Kyle Shanahan is coaching around the people that he has. He's not coaching like a guy who trusts his quarterback. He's not coaching like a guy who trusts his offensive line. He's not coaching that way. 
And if you look at this game, I, I guess, you know, let's, let's kind of break this down a little bit the way the game went. So Bills come out and they go right down the field, right? No problem. But then the Niners get that big stop and fourth down and you get all the momentum in the world, right? After that, Niners go straight down. I didn't love the shotgun run on fourth and fourth and goal from the one yard line, <laughs> no, but they get the not. ball back on the fumble. They throw the touchdown pass. Ayuk. life is good. Here we go. Right. And then the wheels started to come off. You kind of started to see the things show up the issues, but I thought the defense, the defense not play well at all. And it, I didn't think it wasn't that they didn't get any pressure because it looked like they were getting some pressure, but Allen was just so good at when there was pressure, he was just running away from it. Or he was stepping up in the pocket, moving in the pocket, things we haven't seen the, the Niners quarterbacks do. In the the play, I thought that that really there were two plays on defense. Actually, I thought that that really killed the momentum. The first was, I want to say, the score was ten seven. I don't remember though. But anyway, it was it was the pass where it got tipped up in the air, and, and Fred Warner made that crazy athletic play to intercept it. Mm-hmm. And then you get yeah. the holding on Sherman. If yeah. that goes a different way. Again, I don't, the Niners weren't really stopping the Bills, but maybe you get a game where the Niners offense gets rolling. And the other play was the Contavia the Street play where he um, hit jo- pushed Josh Allen when he had already let go of the ball, which is just stupid, stupid. Mm-hmm. And it gives the Bills life. So I thought the Niners, the Niners don't have that. They have no margin for error. They can't do those things. So as the game went on and the game progressed, they start to do those things. They're not going to stop the bills, but you get to halftime. It was 17 to 10. The Niners were still in that game. They really were, but the issues just keep coming. You know, in the second half, again, it's the offensive line can't pass block. And it's usually the right side of the, the offensive line. McGlinch, Mike McGlinchey is terrible. <laughs> I don't care who they put a right guard. They've all been terrible. Mm-hmm. They had to get away from their running game because they got behind and it just snowballed and snowballed and snowballed. They stuck in zone, but if they went to man on defense, who can they cover man? You know, I don't even know. So looking at the game the whole way like that, it just it just seemed like a microcosm of everything that constantly goes wrong and the Niners just don't have the horses. It just seems like when so we all know that when Jimmy's not playing, they they're six and twenty-four without him. Mm-hmm. And was it twenty-two and eight, I believe, with him, twenty-two and nine or something like that with him? Twenty-two and eight, yeah. It's twenty-two and eight. So they played thirty games without him, thirty games with them, and and you've seen that the results, right? And and uh the point here is that when they lose without Jimmy and this has no correlation to like Jimmy being on the field or not, but it's just funny and interesting to me. It's coincidental that when they lose without him, they look the exact same way. Like they'll start off strong and they'll get a touchdown or score early. They'll go up early or be really competitive early. And then they'll start making just dumb mistakes, self-inflicted wounds. Like you said, the street play and the Sherman play. And then eventually they just don't have the horses. And in the end, the, the, the dam kind of breaks in the second half. And the other team pulls away and they win. Literally almost every single one of those 24 losses has been looking the same since 2017. And for the life of me, I, I just I just don't know why. It's just like I, everybody knows that Jimmy's limited. Everybody knows that position is limited. But it's just like when you lose your quarterback, it's just like the whole team goes in the tank. And it, it's just beyond me how, how they don't win more games just even by accident. So when we're looking at like what happened in this particular game, there were several turning points that you just mentioned, but also like, we also have to look at like, okay, like how are they approaching this game? Like how's Kyle calling this game? He is calling like he doesn't trust anybody. Honestly, right now, the only person that Kyle Shanahan looks like he trusts is Kyle Shanahan. Really. That's what it looks like. And in order for his guys to grow and learn and whoever you want to keep for next year and the, the subsequent years and things like that, you got to give them chances. Like Debo didn't even touch the ball barely until the end of the first half. He had one catch for three yards. And he was barely targeted. 
in the first half. He was a decoy. And the second half, surprise, mm-hmm. not surprisingly, he ends up getting a bunch of yards and things like that. You could say it's garbage time or whatever, but he was your best offensive player from the last game. You got to get him the ball. You got him feeding the ball. And, and I think he's hurt now, by the way, as well. He's got a foot contusion. So they're going to see how that, that works out with the rest of the week. But you got to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers. And if your quarterback is a backup quarterback and he's struggling to move the ball, that's even more of a reason to get the ball in the hands of your playmakers. They, they I believe, threw the ball seven or eight times in the first half. And they ran the ball, I think it was 16 or 17 times, not counting. I don't think they had any kneel downs or anything like that at the end of the half. But you're not going to, like, I understand that, you're, that you want to throw, you don't want to throw the ball and you want to establish the run, especially against Buffalo. But you put the stat out last week that they're not running the ball well. The last five games, aside from before garbage time, before the game got out of hand, they were not running the ball well, and they have not been running the ball well. Teams are stacking the box and say whatever you want about, like, they don't respect the quarterback, blah, 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 whatever. Fine. That's okay. But sometimes you have to show something. You have to give the defense something to account for. They waited till the second half to go deep to IU, till the fourth quarter, until the game was out of reach. And this is the third time that, that they've done that this season. And whether it's the quarterbacks not willing to cut it loose and throw deep, or whether it's Kyle not willing to call a deep pass, you got to show that earlier. And you have to show that earlier to get guys backing up off the line. And if you complete it, you, you, keep, you keep showing it until they stop it. And that will open things up underneath. The problem is, is that because of his lack of trust in the players, they're playing in a 15-yard box right now. And that mm-hmm. means all 11 defenders are in that box. That means that all 11 defenders can be in on any sort of run play that you call. And the play action doesn't work because they're not respecting the pass. And the play action doesn't work because you can't establish the run. So right now, nothing's working because they're caught into the cycle of just like really, really untrustworthy play calling by Kyle. And granted, yeah, I understand where he's coming from. But at some point, you got to open up. And look, by no means, people are going to hear this and be like, oh, you're blaming Kyle. I'm not blaming Kyle for the loss at all. He's doing, what, he's doing a great job with what he has. But as a head coach, it's your job. That's why you get paid millions of dollars to find solutions to these problems, whatever they are. And if that means having... Most to throw a touchdown pass to receiver like he did with with uh, or Emmanuel Sanders throw a touchdown pass to Mostert like that last year, wide receiver to a running back. Then it is what it is because if you put that on film, that gives the defense something else to account for later on. And Kyle Shannon is really good at that. He's really good at running actions off of other actions. So maybe you don't throw it the next time. You maybe you run an action off of it that that something that's different. So it's just either he's he doesn't have those plays or he's unwilling to call them so it's like then to me like you're just not willing to do what it takes to win like are you are you willing to put everything out there on tape for the sake of a win or not and if you're not then to me that's that's another problem that's that we have to discuss but i mean that's neither here nor there so the play calling has to get better yes the execution definitely has to get better for sure because injuries and and all these things aside like you're gonna, you're never gonna be at 100 in the NFL. Like there's always gonna be somebody injured. There's always gonna be somebody, something that you have to account for. So, I just like to me, like it, it went the way that I expected it would go. Really, in my heart of hearts, I was hoping that they would run the table. But Buffalo is a very good team. But going forward, it's like you got to start trusting these guys to start making some plays. Otherwise, they'll never grow. You can't keep coddling them and hiding them with your play calls. You can't do that. I was surprised a little bit that this wasn't a kitchen sink game because I guess technically if they run the table, they could still get in the playoffs, mm-hmm. but this was an important game. And, and Kyle mentioned something along the lines of he, this was going to be like the saints game from last year where they have to score. Do you remember how he called that saints game last year? Oh, it was With, phenomenal. It was phenomenal. And he was 
you know, Emmanuel Sanders throwing passes and Kyle Juszczyk pitching the ball and everything else. Phenomenal. He's not doing that at all. And there's a, look, I don't think Kyle's not doing it because he doesn't know how to do it. There's a, there's a reason for it. Maybe it's that he just doesn't trust his players. That's all I could think of. But I really expected them to take more deep shots early, just to take a shot, just to back the defense up. When they did it, I think they got a, a DPI and then the completion to Ayuk a couple times they pushed the ball. You have a guy in Ayuk now who can go and get it. The guy runs great routes. Throw the, just throw him the ball. Just see what happens. You know, who cares at this point? Um, I, I just really, really wish he got more creative and decided to push the ball a little bit more. That's that's my one critique. But listen, he knows his offense. Maybe these guys aren't capable of it. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the answer is. I, I just would have really liked to see them get a little bit more creative, I guess. And, and the same thing, you know, on the defensive side of the ball, you know, I mentioned, I don't, I don't know if they had, if they had the horses to play man or what the situation was, but I guess I would have liked to have seen a few more creative blitzes. Just, just kind of go out of your comfort zone a little bit, just to see what works because what was out there wasn't working. So I'm not knocking Salah. I think he's done a very good job this year. I don't think it's Bill, you know, I don't think it's Bill Belichick. I'm not saying he's a great defensive genius, but he's done a nice job this year and he's probably going to be a head coach next year regardless of what happens this year for the rest of this year in Kyle's. I think Kyle's a very good head coach too, but I, I just, I would like to see them kind of say, screw it more and just say, Let, let's just see what works. We're, we're getting blown out anyway, or, or, or this is, game is going to be hard to compete in anyway. You know, we've looked at the film. The, if they think the bills are that much better than them, just throw shit out there and see what works. Why, why the five yard passes? Why, why play in the box? Just, Take some shots. You're going three and out anyway. <laughs> you know, five plays, four play drives anyway. Take some shots and see what works. Like I think that I think that when it comes down to it, you when you're a, when you're a coach of a team, there are different ways of doing this. And I've heard that Kyle Shanahan isn't a trick play guy, and and that's fine if you feel like you you can just line up and beat guys. Like remember when the Niners were beating everybody in the 80s and 90s? They didn't have too many trick plays. They just they just executed better than everybody else did. Like they didn't have this weird run and shoot offense like the the Houston Oilers and then the, the Atlanta Falcons when Glanville was there. They didn't have that. They didn't they didn't run out of the shotgun. They didn't they weren't like a crazy team that had all these motions and things like that. They just lined up and beat you. And I understand because Kyle Shannon comes from that same coaching tree as obviously Mike Shannon did. So I totally get why he does what he does. And and Robert Sala, same thing. Like I, I understand the Seattle defense that at one point Gus Bradley and then Dan Quinn and then Sala was was an assistant there that they ran, it's notorious for not hiding things and not blitzing and they get pressure with four and that's how they're able to win. And I understand that they, when they have to blitz and they have to try things that are outside of their comfort zone, that, it, that you end up having a trade-off there. But at some point, I think that it's good to do that um, within moderation because you find out the limitations of your players and your defense and you find out what you can do and what you can't do. Like death by a thousand paper cuts on defense helps nobody to me because it's just like, okay, well, we're not finding out the limitations of your defense. We're not, we're not really trying anything new to see what works. We're just kind of maintaining the status quo of something that's really like not that great of a strategy to begin with. But I understand what Salah was trying to do. He, he didn't have the horses, like you said, and he was basically like, okay, we're going to maximize the amount of plays that it takes them to score because maybe one of those plays can end up in a turnover or the more plays you make them run, the more chances of a turnover that you have. So I understand what he was trying to do, but at the end of the day, when that wasn't working and Josh Allen was just shredding them, it's up to them to make adjustments. And it's just, I just don't feel like they make, they make adjustments. I, I don't, and I've never felt this way about the Niners. Like, I feel like when they're winning and they're up, 
they're a much, much better team because they can, they, they don't really have to make adjustments. They can kind of hang on and, and win. But when it comes to making halftime adjustments and changing something up and going with a different game plan or, or whatever it is, changing your scheme up a little bit to account for something, they're just not very good at that on both on either side of the ball. Like they just, they just don't do that. And one thing that is evidence is that they've never won. And this is like a team stat. This is not a Kyle Shanahan stat. So I'm not putting on this on him, but they've never won a game when, since Kyle Shanahan has been here as head coach when trailing by more than seven points in the, in the second half. Like to me, that's kind of wow. shocking. Really? That's shocking. Yep. They never won a game by, when trailing by more than seven second half. So when it's a two score game, They've never been able to come back and win. So to me, that shows me that, okay, well, when everything's going fine, then, then you're great. But when you have to go off script, they're not so great. And to win games in the NFL, that's how Kansas City won the Super Bowl. They went off script. Mm-hmm. And the Niners were not able to make adjustments. And that's why they, that's why they lost. So you got to be able to do that. You, you got to be able to adjust. And you got to be able to get off of your play sheet or whatever you're calling plays off of. And you have to be able to do that. And to me, I'll get I'll get to the all twenty two and all the, all that later. But to me, like you have to look at the film and see what actually works and adjust your game plan. They're just not very good at that. And to go off script, you need a quarterback who can who can do so. And and that's I think has been the issue for them too. And you see what Josh Allen did. Mobile quarterbacks have hurt the 49ers. And while Allen didn't run around all over the place, he's he's certainly ran around in the pocket. <laughs> I mean, eluding the rush, going left, right, stepping up. Just he he was so good at maneuvering in the pocket and going off script. So when the play breaks down or your first read isn't there, do you have a guy who can who can make things happen? The Niners don't have that at any level quarterbacks right now. They look at the read if the read isn't there, if if what Kyle you always say, right? Kyle's Kyle's pulling the strings. If what Kyle drew up isn't there, these quarterbacks can't make it work on the fly. And that's what the Niners need is somebody who, when all hell breaks loose, when all things go off script, excuse me, kind of put the team on his back a little bit and play off script. That to me is is, is the biggest need for them this offseason behind center because you saw Josh Allen do it. Josh Allen looked like an MVP. An MV, I mean, he was just sensational. He looked like a top five quarterback. Bills are in great shape with that guy. I can't believe the jump he made from last year to this year with his accuracy, just in complete control. And, and you've seen when you have a guy behind center, who can do that, it's a big difference. In today's NFL, it's a quarterback-driven league. If your quarterback can make plays like that, you can carry the ball club, and the Niners do not have that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Josh Allen's an interesting case study with this because we saw, we saw him, certainly his rookie year, he was limited. He was less limited in his second year because he figured out he could run a little bit more. And then this past year, like he's, just, he's been so good. He's been, at times, MVP level. Now, here's the thing, Al. So you talk about like off script plays and things like that. So I did some digging and I'm like, what happened to this quarterback room? What happened to these quarterbacks? Cause you asked the question last week, like why they've all regressed. Clearly they've all regressed. And well, CJ was never really much of anything, but Jimmy and Mullins have clearly regressed. And I was doing some research and I was, I was watching film of 2017, those last five games. And when, when Jimmy came here and he literally looked like a guy that could carry the team. Like he was, he was going off script. He was making plays. He was finding open receivers, converting third downs. He was doing everything. He looked like a franchise quarterback. And if you remember, there was a huge amount of excitement in that offseason around the league amongst players and free agents of wanting to join the Niners. Richard Sherman came here because of that. And he mentioned that as well. So to go from that to what they have now, it's just so shocking to me and so startling 
And the offense today, the way you, the, the way that they play, the way that you look at it, is completely different. Because I, I went back to that and I compared it to what we have now. And it's different in several ways. I, I have some points here. Number one, they're not, they're not taking deep drops. Like the quarterbacks, it's just three steps and they're standing in the pocket waiting for a guy to get open. Like there's no, and maybe that's because of Jimmy's ankle, but even Mullins is doing it too. And when, I, when I'm talking about the quarterbacks, I'm talking about all of them right now. They're not taking seven-step drops. Mullins did a little bit in, in this past game, but generally they're not taking seven, seven to 10-step drops. It's just three steps and let, wait for a guy to get open. If, you, if that guy's not open, you don't have time to get your second read at that point because the rush is right there. A three-step drop puts you less than five yards behind the line of scrimmage. The rush will get there in no time. Okay, that's number one. Number two, they're, less, they're running less play action and not as much as they used to. They used to run play action all the time before. They're, running, they're still running it, but they're running less of it. It's more so like just draw back and make a play. And we saw this starting last year in that Seattle game as they lost in overtime, specifically in overtime. There's no play action. It was just Jimmy kind of laying, like sitting back there like a sitting duck, getting sacked by Clowney. Saw in the Super Bowl too, no play action, no moving the pocket, no nothing. And in 2017, that's something that they were doing a lot of. The next point kind of ties in with that. There's, there's not many bootlegs that they ran. Mullins ran a little bit outside the pocket, was able to make some plays in this past game. But like, there's, there's very little designed bootlegs to get them away from the rush. And to me, that helps the quarterback with his vision. Because if you have three guys running at three different levels, you can see them running down the field without the rush in your face. Okay, and then the next thing is that they're not creating plays on their own. Like you said, when the play breaks down and they have to go off of Kyle's script and do something on their own, they're just not able to do that. So if that's the case, then they're, they're dead. Like they don't have any choice. It's just either throw the ball away or, or take a sack. And the last thing that I'm going to say is that Kyle has to let them basically play. Like he's got to let them play. Like you got to let them go run out there and make plays for you. Like you can't just handcuff them and be like, all right, if you, if you throw a pick, I'm going to just not, not let you throw the ball the next drive or the entire game or whatever it is, like you did in the playoffs. You can't do that. They're never going to grow. You got you to gotta let them go out there and make plays. So, I mean, it just looks so different to me. And you can see the film. It's very different. They look different. They're, they're calling plays differently. The quarterbacks are not allowed to, to leave the pocket and make plays. They're just there sitting ducks. And it's just so, it's the antithesis of what you're seeing in 2020. So I, I, just, I just had to point that out. So, all right, I have to ask you this. You, you've seen how the season has gone, and obviously we've had injuries and things like that, but when you look to the offseason and next year, do you look at this team as a Super Bowl contender, a playoff contender, or a team that maybe has to take a step back a little bit to reload for the next five or six years? Um, when healthy, they'll contend for the playoffs, but they're no longer a quarterback away. Like how people thought that after the Super Bowl loss and people said that's when the, the criticism started. Or even the middle of last year when the criticism of Jimmy started that, oh, he's limited, this and that. They're not just a quarterback away anymore. They need pass rush help besides Bosa, whether that's Hyder or somebody else. They need a bunch of corners because they're all free agents. They need a strong safety. They need to rebuild that entire right side of the offensive line. And you've got several other free agents like Yushek and Bourne that you have to bring back as well. specifically like. The quarterback position is the biggest thing that they have to settle this offseason. So they're no longer just one position away. If they can settle the quarterback position and get like a long-term solution, that helps things. But they're not, they're not one player away anymore like, like we thought they were. Listen up, sports bettors. This is Al Sacco here to tell you about my favorite sports book, and that's BetUS. 
Sports are all back, and that means it's time to get down your bets. I only endorse one sports book, and that is BetUS.com. Why, you ask? BetUS is the pioneer in online betting with more than 25 years in the biz. You need a sports book with integrity and longevity, and you need to know that you're going to get paid. You need a sports book that offers everything, including live betting, MMA, golf, horses, esports, entertainment, and all kinds of crazy prop bets and futures. Go to betus.com now and fill out your information. It only takes a minute. That's betus.com. When you get to the how did you hear about us box, type in no huddle podcast and you can get up to 150% in bonuses on your first deposit. Nobody in the industry gives bigger bonuses than BetUS. 25 years in the biz, the best bonuses, BetUS should be your sports book. Join today, betus.com. That's B-E-T-U-S.com. Don't forget to type in No Huddle Podcast when you get there, betus.com. All right, so let's go through this a little bit. We're heading into the offseason. Let's look at the defense first. So you have the defensive line. Bosa, assuming everybody's come back healthy, right? Mm. Bosa's coming back. You're going to have Armstead there. I think they'll re-sign Solomon Thomas at, at a discount rate. I mean, I think he's going to cost a lot of money. I think they will bring him back, especially coming off an ACL. I don't think anybody's really going to want him. They could probably pay him next to nothing, come back and be a rotational guy. You have guys like Gibbons and Street as rotational. Where I worry on the defensive line is that other defensive end spot. Ronald Blair should be back. Hopefully his knee's okay. But after that, D Ford's career might be over. And even if it's not, I know he, I think it's 14 million dead cap, but you can't rely on the guy right now. So I think first and foremost, they're going to need a defensive end. Do you agree with that? Or do you think there's more there? How do you feel about the defensive line? Yeah, absolutely. Because the amount of double teams that Bosa is going to see next year, it's going to be absurd. <laughs> All right. So we realistically, we need, we need one D end, an impact type at guy, at least. Okay. All right. Second level linebackers were probably fine, right? You're talking green okay. line Warner pretty much. I mean, you're probably okay there. Okay. Cornerbacks, huge, huge question mark, huge. Mm-hmm. And you even look at this game, you know, Richard Sherman is, is one of the all-time greats. He's getting older. Jason Ver- Verrett has a great season, but this past game, this is from Pro Football Focus, and, and our buddy Akash tweeted this out, and I saw it. Jason Verrett gave up eight catches on 10 targets for 85 yards. Richard Sherman, three catches on three targets for 35 yards, and Sherman didn't look great this past game. Both those guys are free agents. Do, do you bring either one of those guys back? Um, I would love to have Sherman back, maybe put him at, at safety, but um, he's, we know that he's basically gone. He, he said as much in the Mayo Go interview. So we'll say, we'll say Sherman's gone. I would bring Verrett back because you don't have another solution there. So I would bring Verrett back. Yeah, let's think, of, let's think about these cornerbacks right now. You just said you don't have another solution there, and, and you're right. Quan Williams is a free agent. I'd like to see him come, come back for the slot. Absolutely. You have Emmanuel Mosley, who I think is restricted, I think, but I, I would assume he'll be back. So the only guy you really have to count on right now is Emmanuel Mosley. They have no corners next year. Not, I mean, that's a gigantic need. Gigantic. They're going to need two, maybe three. You know, they need, they're going to need guys who can cover. And like you said, Sherman's probably better suited for, sa- for safety right now. Verrett, I worry about because he, he, and he's been healthy this year, but he's never been healthy any other year. I'm not paying him anything guaranteed. I'll give it to him on one year. Or, or if you want to give him a three-year deal, that's really a one-year deal each year. You could do something like that, but I'm, I'm not giving him two, three years of guaranteed money. Absolutely not. So they're going to have to figure that out. And then you look at the safety position. 
Jimmy Ward's going to be there, and Jimmy Ward, you know, he's not a turnover machine, but he's a solid player. Tart's a free agent. You don't know what you have in Harris. Tavarius Moore has not looked good. He looked lost, lost mm-hmm. this past week. He gave up six catches on six targets for 126 yards. There were plays I don't even know what the hell he was doing. I don't even know. His tackling angles are terrible. So maybe, listen, can you have Ward and Sherman as the safeties next year? <laughs> I, I don't know. Is that something to, maybe? But even still, so you're probably going to need a, a, a safety next year too. So you're talking on the defense. You need a, an impact defensive end. You probably need two to three corners, and you might you probably need a safety. It's a lot. We haven't gotten to the offense yet. That's that's a lot to do in one offseason. So they're going to have to free up some money. I don't think you can put in that many impact guys in with the draft. That's that's those are big decisions there. Yeah, and before we go over the offense, I, I want to make a point that uh, I guess this dovetails into the offensive talk, but uh, that people are talking about trading up for a quarterback in the draft and getting the Niners getting their guy and Kyle like falling in love with the quarterback in much of the same way that KC did with Mahomes. They're not in the same situation. Kansas City was a quarterback away. Like Alex Smith took that team to the playoffs and they were a playoff team. And they were just, they were knocking on the door for several years before that. And they literally just needed a quarterback on that team to, to kind of take them over the top. And they did. The Niners are not in that position. Like I said right before we made this point that they're not just a quarterback away. And on top of that, in order to move up to get a quarterback, they're all probably the best ones are going to go in the top 10, right? Like, unless you want Trask or Mac Jones or something like that. But the best ones are going to go in the top 10. Wilson, Lance, um, Fields, and, and Trevor Lawrence, obviously. You will have to go into the top 10 to be able to get one of those guys with draft capital and possibly future draft capital. And the way that you stay competitive in the NFL is you have as many guys, productive guys, on rookie deals as possible because that allows you to free up cast space to go get free agents and go fill other holes. And if you don't have rookie deals on your roster with productive players on those rookie deals, you're not going to be competitive. You're not going to be competitive paying just a few guys a huge amount of money. You got to be able to get that production from other players. And if you trade away your draft picks, you're forfeiting essentially the opportunity to have more of these rookie deals on your roster for players that you need. Not only do you have to have a lower cap number overall, you're also like you're not de- drafting for depth anymore, Al. Like last year, we could say that okay, well they were they were a Super Bowl team, they were drafting for depth. Now all of a sudden, one year because of injuries and other stuff, everything's turned around. So you're, you're drafting for starters now, again, like you were two years ago. So that changes everything. You can't just trade up and trade away picks at this point. You know, I, I was going to save the QB to last for last, but I'll jump into it because I think where where all this ties in as we go through all these positions and, and whatever our answer is for these position ties into kind of what should the plan be at quarterback? So we'll start off there and there's a few options they can do. They can bring Garoppolo back. And even if they bring him back, they have to draft someone. Does he like Ian book maybe in the third round or wherever Ian book? I I don't know. Does he get somebody towards the end of the first, even with Garoppolo or wherever they pick in the first round, even with Garoppolo there, that's, that's another possibility. I guess that's one way they can go. The other way they can go is they sign somebody. I don't know. Andy Dalton, you know, somebody who's just uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick, somebody who can come in and, and start for you for a year if you need them to, if the rookie's not ready, but you draft a rookie in the, in the first round. Maybe they do like Mac Jones and maybe Zach Wilson falls, whatever it is. Do you go that route or do you say we're done with Jimmy? We're too good to rely on a rookie right now. We're a playoff team. We're going out and we're making a play for 
we're going to call the Lions about Matthew Stafford or we're going to pay Dak Prescott a boatload of money. Which three, they're going to go one of those three ways. And I guess how they feel about their team might have, might have an inkling in which way they go. I'll be honest with you. I think they're going to check into these big names at the quarterback position. Now, if they're not an, an upgrade over Garoppolo, what's the point? That's kind of what I think. It has to be a clear upgrade. But I think if Stafford is available, I think they're they're going to go. The Niners have you know have been in on Cleo Max and guys like that. You know they they put they they push for things like that. I think they're going to be in on it. And I think if if Prescott is on the market, I think they're going to be in on it. I, I think both of those things are are going to be option one for this team. And if those don't happen, you have to see where guys fall in the draft. But I can't stress enough. I I, I really think if there's big names out there the Niners are going to be involved at quarterback. It's kind of funny to me because I feel like at this point, Jimmy kind of has him by the balls right now, so to speak, because he is, he's probably not going to renegotiate his contract, right? Because that means that there's more, there's more guaranteed money. The Niners are not going to pay more guaranteed money to reduce the cap hit. And he's got the no trade thing, which some people say is like not a thing, but I mean, at, at some point, some team is going to have to take on that salary. Nobody's going to take on that salary unless he restructures. And I'm not sure if he's going to restructure. So then you're, then you're left with the possibility that they release him. And the cap hit for releasing him is only $2.6 million. Mm-hmm. So at this point, for Jimmy, if he wants out of San Francisco, then he can force his release and go wherever he wants. And the Niners only pay a $2.6 million cap hit on, on, upon that release. And Jimmy goes to to me, like, I mean, I don't want to speculate, but like the places that make the most sense for me, for Jimmy to go are obviously New England, because that's where he came mm-hmm. from, and Chicago, because that's where he's from. Agreed. And he's quarterback. Yep. So those are two destinations. If he leaves here, he's going to try to force his release and go to one of those two places. So I'm calling that now. Um, was it the, the second week of December, 2020? I'm calling that now. So if he, if he gets released, he's going to go to one of those places. I would now, think they'll be able to trade him, though. Don't you? You got you got you got to get off that cap number though. You got no no team is going to trade for a twenty six million dollar contract. No team is going to do that, and especially with he doesn't have the yeah. revenue. So yeah, unless it's some team that's just willing to like dump salary, like some some bad team. But I think that he also has he can also veto any trade. So that's also building his contract. I think Don Yee had tweet had had uh, mentioned that earlier in the media, and uh, kind of just as a reminder to everybody, thinking that they could trade for him. So that's one thing. Okay, fine. We'll leave that. We'll leave that alone for a second. But looking at the big names, I, I'm the only two names that I would want the Niners to replace Jimmy with that are clear upgrades to me that are knowns and not just like a rookie that is an unknown are Matthew Stafford, obviously, and Dak Prescott. That's the only the, those are the only moves I make. And even Dak Prescott's going to want a lot of money. So we run into that situation where you have a lot of guys that are free agents. Use check born on the offensive side. You have Warner's contract that's coming up that you have to pay. For the extension, so are you going to pay like thirty-three million dollars a year for Dak Prescott, who's coming off an injury? Which I mean, I don't mm-hmm. think he's going to get that much because of the injury and because of the general COVID situation of the cap not going up. But are you going to pay that much for him? Is Detroit willing to trade Matthew Stafford? Like look, that's the big F, right? Right? Yeah. Like, think about this for a second. Like, we we love to play Twitter GM and all that stuff on Forty Nine Twitter, but think about this for a second. If Robert Sala or Coach X goes there. Let's say Salah goes there, right? I think he's going to go there. I think that's where he's going to end. So Salah goes there. He has to rebuild that team. But your offense is not that bad. 
that's a serviceable offense that they have there in Detroit. So your their problem there is, is the running game and the defense. It's always been that problem with Stafford over there. They haven't had either of those two things. So he's rebuilding the, the defense over there, rebuilding running game. The last thing you want to do as a head coach is to replace your quarterback in that situation. That's a known, right? That's a known quantity, a known entity there that you have in your quarterback position, that he's a good quarterback. It's like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna blow this. Let me just focus on the defense. And maybe if I can focus on the defense for like a year, we can have a quick turnaround on this thing and make it and, and be a playoff contender because we already have the offense. So you have to be wondering whether Detroit actually makes that trade and what the comp that they're asking for is like, I'm not trading a first round pick for Matthew Stafford. I'm not. Oh, I would hold on the roster than that. I would, I would, man. I would. Oh, I would, I would try. I would. I would absolutely, absolutely not. Uh, Absolutely, I think he's a different. I think he's. I think he's a difference maker. The only thing with, with, because again, this is totally hypothetical. Everybody's talking about it, but one of the things that you start to hear when there's smoke starts to come around on things like this, and some of the guys who are tied in start to say things. Dan Dan Arflowski was on ESPN Radio, and he's friends with Matthew Stafford, and he said, you know, listen, I love Matthew. He's, He's a good friend of mine. But the time's come to move on from Detroit. When guys like that start saying it in the smoke, kind of, you know, maybe Matthew Watts out. Maybe he's kind of like another coach. I'm sick of this. Get me the hell out of here. And you look mm-hmm. at San Francisco and they got Kyle Shanahan, and it's like, how can you not want to go there? And I, I would, I would go my one for him because his contract isn't going to be crazy this year. Um, there's a, a million different things on Twitter. I, I can't explain these cap hits. I have no idea, but I know he may, he would make less than Jimmy this year. Um, if the Niners were to get him. So I, I would absolutely trade this year's one for him. Maybe I'm crazy. I'm not good at trades. I don't know, but I, I would give it up in heartbeat to have Matthew Stafford. I mean, he turns 34 before the end of next season. So this is not a long-term solution. This is like a two to three year solution. No, and not the that, way quarterbacks are playing these days. He's got five years. I mean, guys are playing at 38, 39 years old. I think I it's a five year solution. So no, nah, I don't think so. I disagree. I disagree. It's funny because we don't ever disagree, but I, I disagree. I think that Matthew, like and quarterbacks tend to start declining at, at some rate towards the late thirties, like mid to late thirties. So he's going to start declining at some point. You probably have like uh, two to three years of prime Matthew Stafford before he starts declining. And the decline could be steep. It could be shallow, like whatever it is, you, you know, whatever it is at that point. But to me, like I, the next quarterback that plays for the Niners, I want him here for 10 years. I, they need that. Like they don't need this. Like okay, three years later, we're gonna, re- you know, do redo this quarterback search again, and this whole like stock solution. Like Alex Smith was <laughs> the funniest thing is Alex Smith was terrible in his his first little stretch here before Harbaugh got here, mm-hmm. but he is the longest tenured quarterback since Steve Young. Oh yeah, yep. All right, but so Matt, Stafford's going to be thirty three in February, so he's thirty two right now. So let's just say hypothetical, right? They trade, they trade for him. They have him for his age 33, 34, 35, 36, 37, 38, six, six years. I mean, it's realistic. Mm-hmm. And you're in the playoffs four times and maybe you win a Super Bowl. Is that worth it? I, it's time for that in a heartbeat. In but, a heartbeat. But you can't just, but we can't just predict that, right? <laughs> like, no, no but I think they're good enough. I think, okay, I won't even say they win a Super Bowl. Just they're, they're a playoff team for the next five or six years. I, I would do that in a heartbeat. If if, if they're I mean, getting like, a chance to get into the dance every year, which right now that isn't, they've had four winning seasons in 18 years. If they get a guy who can come in for the next four or five years and you're a perennial playoff team, because that guy with Kyle Shanahan and Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk in the running game in a strong defense, your perennial playoff team, I'd sign up for it in a heartbeat. I would trade a one for it. I would sign up for it. 
sign me up. But I mean, like you could say that about anybody. Like was Zach Wilson guarantee you that? Shoot, I'm giving you my next four first round picks to get Zach Wilson. Move up and get him because that's going to be the guy that's going to it's going to keep you competitive for ten years. But I mean, like the hypothetical game, like we don't know. But what we do know is that this team can't stay healthy, and what we do know is that they're not a quarterback away. That's that's what we know about them. Yeah, maybe they are a quarterback away though. <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking about <laughs> no, the team. Well, let's no. get into the next thing because here's here's where I worry. So we we put quarterback on the list. Let's do skill positions. I like the one thing about this team where, and I can't believe I'm saying this because they never have skill position guys, but I, I'm loving where they are skill position wise. Ayuk, Debo, Moster. I love Jeff Wilson. I love how hard that guy runs. I think they're bringing Juszczyk back to help with the running backs. Kittle's there, obviously. I'd like for them to re-sign Bourne. But I think overall... The skill positions they're they're in pretty good shape. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, Jordan Reed as well is another guy that they may bring oh, back yeah, sure. here yep. on a cheap deal. Works yep. really Absolutely. well in this, this offense, and he's been every time he gets the ball, he he has a first down or nice catch. He had that one drop, but I mean, like he's been really good in this offense. He knows the offense. Kyle's comfortable with him. He's one of I guess. Remember when Harbaugh was here? He would he would call him quote unquote trusted agents. I guess is what yeah. we used to call them. <laughs> yep. So. <laughs> So Jordan Reed is a trusted agent of Kyle Shanahan, as is uh, as is Trent Williams, who's a free agent. We'll get to the offensive line in a second, but like the, the skill group, I mean, you've got Jalen Hurd, who's kind of an unknown, who's a super athletic guy coming off of IR next year and hopefully producing something. You've got Juwan Jennings that, that we don't know a lot about. You had a bunch of speed guys that they brought in, the JJ Nelson, Tavon Austin. So they wanted speed guys that they wanted to bring in on the cheap. So I understand what they they wanted to do, but I mean, if you can get like a like a four three guy in the draft that just slips because he's just a speed guy. I would do that. You just add that extra element to the offense. You let open things up underneath for Ayuk and Debo to do work. Like I just I want to see specifically Debo, I want to see him stop being a gadget guy and like be an actual like receiver. Because yeah. he's number one, he takes like much more wear and tear than he should at the receiver position. And number two, I just feel like if you just get in the ball in space down the field and not on these like gimmicky Debo reverses, you get in the small space down the field he'll be really effective and for him to get better as a receiver he has to work on his route running right like Ayuk is an elite route runner he, he always was he's the better route runner out of the two I feel like he has better hands out of the two Debo's the, the better uh the, the, the tougher one out of the two and gets the tough yards and is better in, in short spaces but in order for Debo to become better at like an overall as an overall receiver He's got to be able to stop like doing these gadget things, and again, that that that's part of the quarterback whole thing, right? Like exactly, they need to get a quarterback that gets the ball. So, all right. Then you mentioned they're not a quarterback away, and in probably the reason I tell me if I'm wrong, but why you would say that is because the five guys in front of them. Now, I will say this: you mentioned the three step drops, and guys are on you right away. If they do have a quarter, they don't necessarily need a quarterback who could run all around. They just need a quarterback who can threaten the defense downfield and make people back up, which is one of the reasons Alex Stafford. But Regardless, this whole line has still not passed block well at all. So you look at the old line. Trent Williams, it looks like that's a marriage that's going to happen. It seems like he wants to be there and the Niners want him back. So let's assume he's back at left tackle. Mm-hmm. Tomlinson, left guard. Mm-hmm. Then what do you do? <laughs> um, you don't have a center unless Richburg yeah. is going to come back and make a miraculous recovery and you're going to pay him all that money. Or you're just happy with Ben Garland. And he was okay. You know, I guess he's serviceable. You do not have a right guard right now. You don't. Nope. If you want to say that Brunskill was, he's had a rough year because he's been moved all around. He hasn't really had time to work at guard. He's played center. He's played guard. Okay. But I think Brunskill is better as your swing tackle. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have 
probably the biggest disappointment to me on this team more than Eric 176 in the league in sacks Armstead. He's literally 176 in the league, by the way. I wasn't being sarcastic. Wow. Like, yeah, 176. Wow. There's 175 no players with more sacks than an arm side. Yeah, go look it up. Seriously. I'm serious. Anyway, How the guy I'm more disappointed in than that is that, what was that? How much is he getting paid this year? What's his cap hit? Like, like, I mean, uh, how many dollars 17. per sack is he getting right now? He has one and a half sacks. Unbelievable. But the guy has been even worse, Mike McGlinchey. Mike McGlinchey was made a captain. He needed to be a stalwart on this offensive line. He needed to be an anchor with all the injuries. He can't pass block, and he did not run block well this past game anyway. He is a turnstile. He gets plowed backwards. He's fallen on his ass. He's, he's, he's just been, I don't know what happened with him. I don't know if he's hurt. I don't know if he's not motivated. I don't know if, if teams have just are catching up on him. Look, he's going to be back next year because where's he going to go? I'd, maybe he can play guard. I don't know. Maybe he plays well because it's going to be a contract year for him next year. I don't think the Niners are going to pick up his option at this rate. But you got to say he's back, I, I, I guess. But they definitely still need a center and a guard, and I think they still need a right tackle. So that's, to me, that's two to three offensive linemen that they need. Yeah, and McGlinchey specifically, a.k.a. still here, has been really, really bad this year. He's been repeatedly, repeatedly put on his back repeatedly beat by smaller players like you remember what dj reed did to him in seattle put him on his back and yep. it's just he's not and to me that's just he's not playing with any leverage he's standing up too tall and people say like he did lose weight during the offseason and i think that staley leaving is, has left a big impact on McGlinchy. and that's one of the reasons why because staley was like his best friend right and, and i think mm-hmm. that's affected him off the field but i just don't think that his head is in the game i just don't think that he's he's really um realizing the, the seriousness of this because he at least at least in the media he is outwardly denying the fact that he's been playing poorly and to me that's a dangerous place as an athlete because if you don't realize the gravity of your own situation you'll never be able to improve and the sooner that you realize as an athlete the, the sooner you can get to improving so i don't know if he's realizing that or if he has or if he hasn't whatever it is but that particular position because you're on an island and even though it's not on the blind side that particular position is, is very important and what happens on the interior like yeah that has an effect on it but i mean the right tackle is he's a first round pick he's a top 10 pick and i don't know if they bring him back for his option like they may just just because the option is cheaper than signing a, a veteran free agent or a free agent in that position but he's just been so bad this year the other guys like they've gone through three centers this year so it's like okay like i understand that and the guard position was never settled even before the season like there's an open competition so that's understandable too but right tackle like i just never saw this this big of a drop off from mcclinchy so like i was saying you don't have the cast base to, to replace all of them with elite players you got to find guys in the draft you have to and you can't trade picks for a quarterback if you if you're doing that and if a guy falls to you in the first round that can fill one of those positions you take that guy but if you don't have a first round pick because you traded it for matt stafford then you can't do that so we think they need an impact defensive end, two to three cornerbacks, a strong safety, probably a quarterback, and two to three offensive linemen till they come in and play. It's, you know, that's not the 2019 roster, that's for sure. So it's going to be interesting. This, man, this is a crossroads type offseason for them, isn't it? This is going to be an interesting offseason. It is. Wow. And uh, this is going to test 
really, we're going to find out how good of a, a head coach Kyle Shanahan is and how good of a talent evaluator he is at this point because he gets one more chance to find a quarterback if he moves off of Jimmy or whether it is Jimmy, he gets one more chance. And if he doesn't, basically, I, I would say it takes two plus years to evaluate a quarterback, right? And that's fair if, mm-hmm. if he plays. And if he goes two years, another two years, and he has to make a switch again, I think at that point, it's a very valid conversation to have whether he is the guy or not. Well, you know, cra- crazy. Not- oh, sorry. I was going to say a crazy thing. And, and this is not his fault to share any stretch of the imagination. But if he loses 10 games this year, which is possible, he'll be the first 49ers head coach in history to lose 10 games three seasons. Yeah. So, I mean, and again, it's not all his fault. Like COVID and the injuries and stuff. Like, I'm for me, like, yeah, I criticize Kai, but then, look, the season is not his fault, right? Like, this was a, no, a bad hand yeah. he was dealt. But, I mean, now you have a chance to hit the reset button at several positions and then kind of re- go through a retooling. It's not rebuilding, as, as, as Trent Baalke famously coined it. It's not a rebuilding, it's a retooling. And I think this is a retooling. So we'll have to see what he does. And, and this is going to test the scouting department. If Salah leaves, you're losing some offensive assistance and some scouts as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him. that's a great so point. Yep. This is going to test them in ways that they have never been tested before. And it's either it's sink or swim this time because if he goes if he has a ten loss season this year, which is it's looking like that, if he has a ten loss season this year, and then next year the quarterback's position either isn't settled or you have another ten loss season because you're transitioning. Man, I, that's a really hard sell because if you're Jed York, at some point you have to be like, look, I understand that you have injuries and stuff, but at some point you have to remedy that. You have to come up with a solution for that. Like, like Hugh Jackson took over a terrible Browns. Went 0 16 one year and 1 15 the next year. And much of that wasn't his fault. He just happened to be the head coach there. He wasn't a great head coach, but much of that was personnel decisions and front office infighting, things like that, bad draft picks. But the head coach ended up taking the fall for that because at the end of the day, that's the one who's going to be held accountable, unfortunately. As much as people like to put the blame, the fan base likes to put the blame on the players and stuff like that. Unfortunately, it's the head coach, like it or not, that takes accountability for it because he's the leader of these men. And I don't want Kyle to leave. I don't want him to leave. I want him to be the head coach that takes the Niners to the next Super Bowl and wins it. Because that means if he's gone, that means that we're, we're doing this whole head coach search thing again. So I expect him to be here for the long run, and I hope he's here for the long run. But it's just something that's in the back of my mind. It's like, man, this is such an important offseason on so many levels. All right, before we go, let's talk about this game coming up against Washington. And, and Alex Smith has been such just, just an amazing story. Comes back, dude almost lost his leg. Almost lost its leg on top of everything else that he, you know, he's been through in his career or whatever. The team is three and one under him and tied for first place and has a real chance to get into the playoffs. And I tweeted out today, Alex Smith reminds me a lot of Garoppolo in the sense that they're not the same player. I'm not saying that they're not the same type of quarterback at all, but just in the sense that they're good enough to win and win a lot with you if you have a good team around them. If they're surrounded with a good defense and, and supporting cast on offense, you could win with them. You can go to the playoffs with them. They're that kind of quarterback, but they're also the type of quarterback that because they're limited, you're always kind of looking, can I like this guy, but can I do better than this guy? You know, it's like, a, I like to, you know, I like to date this girl, but am I going to marry her? It's, I feel like it's always kind of been that way with Smith. It's that way with Garoppolo too, where they just, there's something there that they're limited that, oh, I like him and he could win us 10 or 11 games this year because we got a good team. But is there that next level? They remind me of each other in, in that sense, but I'm happy for Alex Smith. I'm rooting for Washington to get the playoffs. I hope they lose this week and still get in, but um, it's going to be an interesting game. I think it's going to be a really low scoring game because Washington's defense is legit. 
I don't love the Reds, or I almost said the R word, <laughs> the, the Washington <laughs> offense at all. Um, again, I'm happy what Alex Smith is doing. He's doing a nice job, but other than McLaurin, nobody there really threatens you. The tight end's pretty good on that team. Um, but it, Gibson, their running back, is going to be out, it looks like, with a turf toe. So there's not a whole lot there that I, that I think really threatens the Niners. I think they can pull this one out, like a 20 to 17 type thing, 20 to 13 type thing. I, I really do. I, I don't know where you're going to go. I think I'm going to actually go to San Francisco. Just just to keep dangling us along, I think they win this game. <laughs> um, so the, the thought that kind of came in my head when I saw Washington football team on the schedule, when Alex Smith started starting, I'm like, well, I wonder if he's going to be starting by the time they play the Niners. And he, he did. And if, for those of you who haven't seen the ESPN story, please watch it. Um, for the squeamish, maybe don't watch it. But like for the people who, who love Alex Smith, like I, I'm a big Alex Smith guy, always have been. And um, I, I think that this story has been such an inspirational story and so great. And I want to see him in the playoffs as well. I want to see him lift a Super Bowl trophy, not against the Niners, but I want to someday see him lift a Super Bowl trophy because he, he has been through so much in his career. Just the nicest guy, like the nicest dude. And he's never complained once. And uh, to see him come back from what he's come back from and, and hopefully take a team in the playoffs, like it's, it's been so awesome. So, man, if the Niners play a defensive game like they did last game where they just don't adjust, they're, they're not going to beat anybody. Like They have to adjust. And if they play an offensive game, frankly, like they played last game where they just didn't adjust until they were way down, they're really not going to beat many teams. So it is going to be a low-scoring game. Alex Smith is not going to throw the ball down the field. We know that. But he is a master at dinking and dunking you to death. He will find every single open receiver underneath that you can that you can think of. So, gosh, it's such a hard game to call because I feel like Mullins could elevate, but that Washington defense is too good. I'm gonna say the Niners lose, but it'll be close. I'm gonna say they lose uh, 17-14. It'll be close. They'll keep us entertained. They'll be competitive, but I think the Niners will lose it just because oh, that that defense. Yeah, the, the defense in Washington is just too good. That's a top five defense, by the way, and the top pass defense. Yeah, it could it could get ugly. <laughs> it could get a little ugly. Um, I mean, Mullins could be on his back a lot this game. So, oh, I know I I'm still going to go with it. They're going to pull it out just 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 to make me suffer a little bit more. <laughs> I think they're going to pull it. out. I do want to say yeah, this too. Uh, so go go ahead. Not good. Good. Uh, I just thought this was cool. This is a little bit off topic, but Frank Gore is fifteen. 1,870 yards of his career, right? So it got me thinking because there were all those running backs taken high that year, right? Three yeah. running backs were taken the first five picks that year. It was Ronnie Brown, Cedric Benson, and Cadillac Williams. Those three combined for 15,446 career rushing yards. Frank Gore has out, outrushed the three of those guys combined. I just thought that was so cool. He was taken, obviously, 56th, first pick of the third round that year. Three running backs taken in the top five. Gore has outrushed all of them combined. I thought that was cool. I, uh... He had he had a concussion the last game. I hope that's not it for him. I really hope that's not it for him. But we'll see. I hope he plays um, again next year. I hope he comes back, man. I hope he gets on a good yeah. team next year, and he just you know can be like a mentor to somebody, just play a little bit, and maybe get another run at a, at a, at a Super Bowl. I hope. Like Jerome Bettis, right? Yeah, go along for the ride, man. <laughs> yeah, it's go along for the ride, Jerome Bettis. And um, yeah, so before we go, one thing about and I wanted to mention this earlier when we talk about quarterbacks, but. Um, I would have a chance to so mentioning it now at the end of the show. So I want to talk about all 22 really quick. And I think it's a really good tool. And I think it's a really useful tool for people to understand what's going on in a play and analyze film and for scouts and coaches, obviously. 
However, I feel like it's it's got its limitations, and here's why. So anybody who has played the quarterback position, and it's funny because like I, I put this question out to anybody and everybody on 49ers Twitter asking who has actually played the quarterback position at a level like other than Pee Wee, like high school, college, whatever, pro, whatever it is, right? And not one person responded to me. And I'm like, that's kind of funny because like even <laughs> high school is like the most amateur level out of like anything, right? Like high school is like nothing, right? So even if a person was a high school quarterback, I would be like, okay, well, you know what it's like. So the funny thing is, little known fact about me is that I play quarterback in high school. And um, I was I was back up for my uh, freshman and sophomore years, and I started my junior and senior season. And um, and it's funny because when you put it on your resume, you're like, oh, like when your first job comes out, like these things matter. Like <laughs> when you're coming out of college, mm-hmm. like oh, I was the captain of my football team and I was the quarterback and stuff. Because people look for like leadership. Now it's just like whatever. It's just like a nothing thing, right? So, anyways, like playing quarterback. There's two things I realized. Like as a backup, this debate was going on earlier this week on 49ers Twitter about them saying that Mullins was the smarter out of the, the smartest quarterback in the room. And everybody was like, ah, ha, ha, see, Jimmy's not smart. Mullins is smart. But here's the thing, like the backup quarterback is going to be the smarter guy. When I was the backup, all I did was look at film and the game plan and get ready because I'm not running scout team because they don't want me. They want me healthy in case the starter goes down and I'm just taking my few reps, get out of the way, and let the starter do his thing. I'm watching practice. I'm going over tape. I'm going over the game plan, and that's all I do. In the NFL, it's that times a thousand because like these are professionals. The backup quarterback knows the game plan better in many times, many teams than the starter does because of that. So that's not a, that's not a new thing, even though people are acting like that. So that's the first thing. The second thing is is that when you're looking at the film, the All Twenty Two, it's funny because you see stuff from the All Twenty Two angle, which is usually the camera that's mounted up behind the goalpost. It's like you know, 20, 30 feet up in the air, or sometimes 50 feet up in the air, depending on what the stadium is. And you see everything from that vantage point. Problem is, is that when you're a quarterback and you're in the pocket, you don't see it that way. All you see, so Al, here's what I saw when I played quarterback. When I was under center, I remember coming back between my junior and senior years, the first practice. And the very first thing that I thought of, and it's never, this will never escape me, was how much chaos there was in the, in the pocket. Even though I had a clean pocket, mm-hmm. all you see is helmets, big bodies, hands, and just like people all around you. And passing lanes open and close quicker than anything. And if you have a passing lane, by the time you, you decide to pull the trigger, it could be closed. And when you look at the all 22, you don't see it from that level. So I wish that somebody would put a court or like a camera on a quarterback's helmet to see what they see. Because sometimes the lanes open up and it's very obvious, right? Other times the rush is bearing down on you. You just have to throw it and get rid of it. And you don't know where you're throwing it because all you see is hands. And people don't understand that when it comes to playing the quarterback position. Like, dude, I was the amateur of amateurs, man, freaking high school quarterback. And I understand that. We have people in the media that don't understand that. And they do this for a living. Like, come on, man. And this is not an excuse. This is an actual thing. Ask anybody who's played the position at any level that's not like flag football. It's hard. It's really hard. And the fact that people don't realize this, they want to make comments on Twitter and, and uh, through the media and stuff. It's like, bro, like you don't understand. To me, the only person that is actually qualified to talk about this is Croc because he's played football. He's played professionally. Yeah. And even though he played DB, but he's the guy that's qualified to talk about this because he knows. So everybody thinks that they can be quarterback. Everybody thinks that's easy because they look at the all 22 and like, oh, he missed this guy and that guy. Well, did you see the hands and the helmets that were in his way that he couldn't see? So all of that stuff needs to be taken into account when we evaluate quarterbacks. And it's important 
to keep that in mind because if it was that easy to evaluate quarterbacks, every team would have one. And every scouting department would be paid ridiculous amounts of money, or actually, sorry, no money, because they just give it to fans and be like, okay, hey, fan X analyzes all 22 for me because clearly it's easy, right? So that's what I'm saying to people that Niners fans, like if it was that easy to find a quarterback, every single team in this league, there will be 32 of them. And the point is, it's hard. It's not easy to find a quarterback. And I hope, and I pray to the football gods that the Niners can figure this out and Kyle can find a quarterback. It's, it's, I did see that you did that and I, I chuckled because I, I thought it was funny because yeah, you have all these 20 something, 30 something year old guys sitting in front of their computer like, oh, look, he missed this receiver. Meanwhile, the quarterback's back there with five 300 pound guys who run a four or five trying to take his head off, you know, yeah, it's six foot five guys in front of him and they're like, oh, yeah, he missed it. Um, it is kind of comical, you know, we, we do. And, and, you know, I look, I do it too. It's, it's not my job. It's a hobby I do, but um, yeah, I mean, I don't, come on. <laughs> you know what I mean? I remember I did a, a draft show with Croc um, for the fourth and nine. And yeah, he just, he know he is so smart when it comes to football. And he would say things and I'd be like, oh man, he's, he knows so much more than I do. It's ridiculous. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I didn't want to yeah, follow him because he just knows so much more than I do. And you know, yeah. I'm a fan and I hope I'm entertaining and I hope I make some good points. And, and I, and I hope sometimes I come across, I know what I'm talking about, but I, I never played quarterback. So I, you know, and I certainly didn't play at a college or level or anything more than that. So, you know, I only know so much. It's good that people kind of like you and listen to you and stuff like that. But you're right. There's only a certain, a very small amount of people who are really, really know what the hell they're talking about. So who have been there and probably, you know, so, yeah. um, yeah. Hobby's but still listen. Hobby, Hobby's played, Hobby wasn't playing college. So Hobby's another guy who knows who he's talking about for sure. Yeah, no, he knows what he's talking about too. And there are, there's a lot of guys who know what yeah. they're talking, you know, who definitely know what they're talking about. Um, but there's also a lot who don't, um, but keep following me on Twitter because I'm fun. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> You know, we do to an extent, like, you know, that we can see. But again, yeah, there's just guys like, again, Crocker is, he's so far and above, uh, I think, especially from what I know anyway. Um, I'll speak mm-hmm. for me. He's way better at this than I am. So, um, yeah, but it's a great point. It's a great point because we're just out here trying to have fun and, you know, we hope we can entertain some people and we make some good points. But like Zane just said, there's definitely a, a small amount of people who know more than some of us other clowns. So, and there's some people who really have no business blogging about anything because they're awful. But it's neither here nor there. So I saw a couple of those articles come across today. I was like cringing. I was like, uh, no, why? <laughs> yeah, there's some cringe ones. Like if you're going to look at things as a fan, that's okay. I think that's okay. That's a lot of the way that I've done my thing is I just kind of want to, uh, you know, I'll put stats out there, but I just want to look at things as like, I'm a fan you're talking with and, you know, your buddy you're talking with and in a bar. I don't pretend to be like an X's and O's expert. I'm not by any stretch of the imagination, but you get some people who say things just for like clicks or just outlandish takes and you're just, it is, it's cringeworthy. Sometimes you're kind of like, Oh, but everybody's got a voice these days. Ain't social media. Everybody's got a voice, unfortunately. Yeah. We should shout out some of these guys though. Some of these, some of these guys are the good guys like croc, hobby, Matt bar. Oh yeah. Um, love those guys. Great. Awesome. Akash, all these guys. Akash does a great job. Yeah. 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 There's a lot of great Niners guys that kind of do what we do and, and have rational, rational takes and rational thoughts. And, um, yeah, it's, they're they're a lot of fun. They're, I, the 49ers fans got it good. There's a lot. There's a lot of guys out there who do a really good job. I think I think it's basically like tuning out some of the noise and like listening to some of the guys that that know and the gals that know what they're talking about. I think that's the biggest thing. Anyways, yeah, now let's sure. wrap this. We've been talking a long. All right, that's it. It was a really long time. All right, for for Zane, this is Al. Bye, guys.